Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James today. We're going to continue talking about L-E-A-D. And if uh, you recall, a few weeks ago we began to share about the aspect of what does it all boil down to? It boils down to this. It boils down to, as Jesus said, loving the Lord your God and loving others. The Christian life is, is really that simple. It's loving God and it's loving others. And we talked about well, why isn't that happening sometimes in our lives? And so we came up with this L-E-A-D. We want the L to lead, right? We want to love God. We want to love others. But sometimes what we have to do is slow down. <clears throat> And we got to look at E, which is the environment of our heart. What's going on in our hearts? Hearts that we have sometimes can really cause us to, to go astray, to not honor God as we should. And so there's just sometimes there's some really bad environments going on in our hearts that are causing us to, to not be the believers, to not be the people that God's called us to be. So we talked about that last week, or I did on screen. That was really weird. How was that? Is that okay? Is that all right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right. But the A, we're going to talk about and focus a little bit closer on the A today. And the A stands for action. You know, we can, we can talk a good game. We can, we can share a lot of great scriptures. We can talk to each other. We can have Bible studies. But it really all boils down to action. It boils down to the moment that, that you have to do something, right? You have to do something about the truth that you've heard. And it's just one, it's another thing to be highly intellectual, to know a lot of stuff about Scripture, know a lot of things about God, and then to not really do anything about it. And that's probably why our world sometimes is so confused, is that you know, they, they've heard of what believers stand for, they've heard of what, what a Christian should be like, and they see people that know a lot of stuff, but not a lot of Christians that are actually putting it into action, that are doing something about it. And so I, I don't want this to be just a, a Nike kind of sermon, you know, just do it kind of thing. But what I do want to do is to look at what Scripture says. I want to challenge you this morning. There is something on your heart, I guarantee it, that, that God is telling you to do. There's some change, I guarantee it, in your life that God says, this has to happen, and, and you have yet to take a step and to do it. Something that you need to do, or something that needs to change, something you need to stop doing, right? And you've yet to take action on it. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that aspect of putting things into action. Diane has been doing some extra study, and she reminded me of this. When you look in the book of Revelation, you know, at the very beginning of the book, we, you see the churches listed. And what's cool is that God goes through and He says, you know, there's this aspect that you're doing great, love that you're doing this, but there's this one thing you got to work on. And there's always going to be one thing, there's going to be something that God's poking at, something that He's pushing us along with to change, because that's what He does. He molds us. He changes us to, by His Spirit, to be like Him, to accomplish the mission that He's given us. And so we're going to look at the aspect of action today. Now we're going to go to the book of James, and, and we 
man, about a year ago or so, we were in the entire book of James, went through that, and we're going to look at some familiar passages if you remember that time, but we're going to begin by James chapter 1, verses 19. So if you would turn there or open up your phones, we'll have it on the screen as well. There's just something about holding it, okay? And if in January you were one of those that stepped up and said, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, you know what I mean. It's kind of been with you through this journey. You have a love. Diane has gotten, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be picking on you today, honey, but she has got, she has decided to like underline things. And she's got like this system with this card that she has like this perfect underlines the whole way through that looks like professionally underlined in her Bible. Like it was printed that way. It's really funny. All right, so James 1.19. Let's take a look at this. It says this, now, now know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Think about that for a second before we get much farther. Quick to hear and slow to speak. How many of you, when you're in a conversation with somebody else, are actually listening to them? Or it's more like you're, you're trying to craft what you're going to say when you have the opportunity to say it. You never really heard what they said. That's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, David's not in his head like, yeah, yeah. Why? Because we're concerned about us, right? We don't, don't want to sound like an idiot when we have a conversation with somebody. But be, I love this, be quick to hear and slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God and he says therefore put away all filthiness and, and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but then it says this here's the meat of, of, of the action he says this but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves be doers of the word and not just hearers it doesn't do anything it doesn't do any good to have all the knowledge and then do nothing with it right it's very deceptive and it can be very deceptive there's a, there's a difference between as we mentioned reading the bible through in the ear right checking off those boxes filling your head with the knowledge right and then actually doing something about it. God said this, God said to do this, but what are you doing about it? Is your life being changed? It's not going to be changed by knowledge, by just simply knowing more about God. It's actually kind of scary if you think about it, because the Bible says the more you know about God, the more you're held accountable to the things that you know. I think it's in James as well. It says, not many of you should be teachers, brothers, because you're going to be held to that, that higher accountability. Because you know the truth, you're not ignorant of that, means that there's a higher responsibility. You know, it's one thing if you're a child, right? And, oh, he didn't know any better. But when we do know better, and we do nothing about it, it says that, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, because you're deceiving yourself in that process. 
It says, for if anyone, and here's the great example, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently as natural face in a mirror. Get the picture in your head. If I had to stand in front of a mirror to kind of get your hair just right, I have that struggle all the time. Just laughing. <laughs> you got to fix something, right? There's something there out of place. For it says he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. You don't go to a mirror without the intention of, of, not, of changing something. When you look into a mirror, if you have hair, okay, longer than I do, you go and you look at it and you've got to do something about it. If it's out of place, okay, if there's a smudge on your face, you've heard this argument before, you don't look into a mirror and then not do anything. How silly we think that is. But essentially what the Bible is saying is that, or what God is saying is that Scripture oftentimes is a mirror. You look at it and it says, it says back, there's something out of place. There's something out of order. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the Word of God and how it gets so, it cuts deep. It's the division of soul and spirit. It knows, God knows you better than you know yourself. And when you look into the mirror and He says, there's something that needs to change, it doesn't do any good to just walk away. Something has to be done about it. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. It's like the guy who looks at himself in the mirror, sees something, and then he walks away, right? For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Has God ever told you to do something and you, you started to, right? And then he just kind of faded away. Kind of forgot about it. Raise your hand if you want to. Yeah, we're all in that crowd, right? What commitment, it's the last commitment you can remember that you made to God, and, and have you followed through with it? Or did this change or something He's told you to do? Just wonder what that, what that is for you. Might, maybe you're being faithful to it, which is great, praise God. But oftentimes we do forget. So He looks at Himself and goes away and at once forgets what He was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, I love this, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's a law of liberty. It's, it's, a, it's a law of freedom because God says you don't want this particular thing in your life. There is something in your life that needs to change. And if you would, if you would follow through and be a doer, Man, what freedom you would have. What joy you would have. In a, in a less important role, physically, when I look into the mirror right now, I see a gut, okay? And my wife is the Holy Spirit, if you will, sometimes telling me, you should not be eating this, you should not be doing that, okay? And so many times I hear her and I forget. I don't just forget, I shove it aside, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look in the mirror. But here's the thing. I know that if I would follow through, if I would be a doer, if I would stop eating the things that I, I know I shouldn't eat. You know, here's the thing. I thought that if, uh, 
I've realized that you get to a certain age, it doesn't matter how much exercise you do, it doesn't change anything if you eat bad stuff. I'm 43 now, and I've been working out Monday through Friday for the last three months. I've gotten some bigger muscles, but this hasn't changed. So here's the thing, the freedom is this. The freedom is if I would follow through, I would feel better. I would, uh, the freedom of, of, of buckling my pants, right, without the, uh, or bending over to tie your shoes without the gut in the way, you know, the less weight that you carry around, you know, what freedom? And God's law, when he says to us to change something, to, to correct this when you look into the mirror of God's word, is for freedom, it's not for a burden, it's for freedom. There is no one who knows better than God what's best for you. When he says to change something, when he says to do something, it is a law of freedom. So this action, when it, when it comes down to finally doing something, we've got to keep that in mind as we move forward. It's for freedom. It's for peace. It's for joy. It's, it's a positive change in our lives. If we would do something about it. Because what's happened if you've gone through the L-E-A-D thing is you've realized, you know, I want to love God and, and, and I want to love others, but I realize my heart is angry. It treats people poorly. And so God says, all right, I'm glad you recognize that. Here's something you need to change. Let's work on it. Let's do this. So here we go. We, we have to put things into action. That's one part of James. Let's look at James chapter 2. This kind of continues on. <clears throat> In two verses, chapter 2, verse 14, we see the same argument. He says this, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? So here it's a little bit of a different change. We're not just talking about the knowledge of things. We're talking about having faith. Yeah, I believe God can do it. But what are you doing, right? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister, here's the example, right, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it, if it does not have works, it's dead. What good is it to know things? What good is it to have faith in God if you're just, if someone comes to you for help and they have need and you say, well, can I pray for you? That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Right? That's, you know, Christians pray, and this is even in public. You know? If, if a homeless guy comes up to me on the street and I just pray for him, and I know that he has no place to stay, I know that he has no place, no, no food to eat, what good is that? Now, it almost sounds sacrilegious at first. Well, how can, how can you say that? I mean, you're praying for him, and, 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 and God will take care of him. But here's the thing that we see in Scripture is that God says that you are his hands and his feet. He uses believers to follow through and to, to take care of the poor. So it, it, it means nothing to, 
to heap your religiosity on someone and do nothing about it. It says that the faith and the works have to come together. The knowledge has to, put in, has to be put into action, but the faith and works have to come together. And he says, let me give you an example of this. And he goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works, as if those things are separate. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works. But he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. You're going to know what I believe. You're going to know where my faith stands by what you see. That what you see me do. And he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But I love this, he says, even the demons believe that. The demons believe in God and they shudder. Just because you believe in God... You know that he exists. That, that doesn't mean anything. That's not the, the kind of, of faith that saves you. Faith and action come together. The demons believe in God, and they shudder. And he says, do you want to be shown? Do you want an example? He says, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. We think about it. I mean, oh, we're going to share these examples in a moment, but you probably know a ton of people around you where you work that know God or have heard about God, that believe God exists, but they have not made a decision to follow Jesus. They've not made a decision to say, my life belongs to Him. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to be a follower of Christ. We live in a Christian nation, right? We have all kinds of people that believe in God in the sense of God and country, God, the American flag, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But there is a difference between believing that God exists and, and, and actually being a disciple, following God. He says, so here's, here's an example. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He said, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Really cool thing about Abraham, God asked him, as you know the story, to do the unthinkable, to offer up his, his son as a, as a sacrifice. Abraham followed through on that faith, which we can barely comprehend. It's none of you, I guarantee you, that could feel like it would be okay to sacrifice your child. But what you find out in Hebrews, behind the scenes, if you've read, what's cool is that Abraham had such great faith in God that he believed that if he actually had followed through with sacrificing his son, that God would have raised his son back from the dead. That's the kind of faith they had in God. But the point is, is that Abraham followed through. He was willing to put faith and action together, even to this, this crazy extent. And then we find another example that says this, that says, and you see a person is justified. Okay, verse 25, I'm sorry. And in the same way, it was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
They have to come together. Here's an overused example as we've talked about this before. Here's our chair, right? I believe... It's a key phrase. I believe, right? I believe this chair will hold me. Does anybody else believe that chair will hold me? Okay. I look at this chair. It looks well-constructed. It's got four legs. It's made out of some kind of metal, probably aluminum, right? So it's not too heavy, but it's strong. I could study all kinds of things about this chair. It's got four legs. It's made out of aluminum. It's got some kind of cushioning in here. It's black. Anybody else want to tell me something they observe about this chair? Come on, people. It's metal. What else? Come on. It's empty. Okay, interesting. Yeah, what were you going to say, Angela? It's level, right. That's a good point. If it wasn't level, I could probably slide right off this chair. You know, you know, we could write all kinds of things. We could have blueprints for this chair. We could make all kinds of chairs. We could talk about this chair. We could have small groups that gather and talk about the black chair. Okay? You know, we could, uh, we could do all kinds of things, write books on it. But there's a difference between what you're doing right now and what I'm doing. For me, believing that that chair is going to hold, that kind of faith, according to what we read in James, means nothing. You're sitting in the chair. Your faith and your actions have come together. That's what's needed. When we talk about the loving God and loving others, and when God points out some things in our lives, we're not going to experience that freedom that we talked about, that law of liberty, until we sit in the chair until we follow through, until we do something about what God is telling us to do. We have to follow through. In 1 John, real quick, just to look at uh, this passage, chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart, interesting, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, right? How many of you are good at talking? Yeah, we're good at talking. But how about doing? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is a really uncomfortable sermon today because it's like, all right, it's, you, we've talked about it a lot. You've talked about doing some things a lot, things that God's told you. You know, let's get until this. We've, we've talked about, you know, telling other people about Jesus. We've talked about loving others. We've, we've, we've talked about having our devotional times. We've, we've talked about, you name it, any number of things every Sunday, right? And then small group kind of stuff. We talk about the way we should be, the way we should treat other people, what God has to say, giving, you name it, whatever it is. But when it comes to doing, are you a good doer? Are you a good talker? Having an, an idea, hearing something, and following through with it. You know, these are the two different things, aren't they? Words and deeds have to come together. If we're going to love God and love others, there's, there's a time for action. We hear from God, He says, do this. This is the way, walk in it. We have to walk. 
Let me give you another example in the book of Luke, chapter 10, if you would turn there with me. The ministry that I work with during the week in Oliver Gospel is based on Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This whole sermon series has been based off of the passage where Jesus boils it down and says, you know, someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And here we find this guy comes up, it's a lawyer or a Pharisee. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, testing Jesus. It's never a good idea saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is interesting. He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? I like that. Jesus tell me what you read and understand. What do you know? And he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. You have answered correctly. You know the right stuff. Congratulations. You have the correct answer. You circled C. Like everyone says, it's always C, you know. You got it right. Congratulations. A plus. Okay? And here's the, here's the other half of the verse. He said to him, you have answered correctly. They says what? What? Do this. What? Do this. Do this. Oh, wait! I got. I got to do something. Wouldn't the Christian life be so much easier, even though we stink at it sometimes, if we just had to get up every morning and read what the Bible has to say? And that's it. Write books on it. Be a scholar. Know all the cool things about God. But, but I mean, I actually have to love somebody. I have to be in uncomfortable situations where it's not easy. I have to... Loving, really love others. Have you met so-and-so, God? He's like, yeah, I made him. I know all about him. It's not a surprise. He says, do this and you will live. But this is interesting. The guy pushes back, right? He pushes back against Jesus. But he, it says, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because the guy is a lawyer. What do lawyers do, right? They wrestle with all the facts and, and they're spin doctors in different ways. And you can almost see this guy's like, me and my small group, man, we've had a discussion for weeks about who our neighbor is. You know? So Jesus, who is our neighbor? Seeking to justify himself. Let's define Jesus. Who is our neighbor? We're going to give you a three-point sermon. It, it's Number one is this. Number two is this. And, and try to really make it all complicated. Trying to justify. So Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies with a story. To make it really simple. So let's, let's look at this story. He says, 
Jesus replies, says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this guy has gone down this road, and he is in dire straits, half dead, lying on the side of the road. It says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We've never done that, right? <laughs> you know, you're walking along and you see some situation you just don't want to be a part of. And you kind of make the beeline, right? Let's be honest, we all have. It may not be because of a lack of compassion, which actually probably still boils down together. Maybe we're in a rush. I don't have time. Maybe I'm just afraid. Maybe I don't, that's disgusting to me. Maybe it's uh, whatever it is. There's a million excuses that we would begin to start to be like this lawyer. Oh, wait, wait who's our neighbor again? Because if, if our neighbor is just Christians, they don't have to help that guy. When he says brothers and sisters, is he talking about, he must be talking about believers. He's not. He's talking about everybody. There's lots of scriptures that point that out. But anyway, so he, he, he makes the beeline. He goes on the other side, and he says, so likewise. So we've got a priest doing this, right? This dude's a pastor, if you will, to put it in modern-day terms in a, in a sense. And he walks around the other side. And then, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a priest, by the way, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were, were priests, okay? Kind of still in the religious system, if you will. So, you know, the guy who runs the sound, who's a part of the church, man, he passed by too. You know, the coffee lady, you know, she's happy and smiley at church, but she saw, you know, went around the other way. You know, these people, these Levites, these, these religious people went on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan. The most despised and hated group of people that, that, a, that a Pharisee would bring up, you know, but a Samaritan, the guy least likely, right, you would think to help anybody. This is what the Samaritan does. But a, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So you'd think there you're done. I have done my deed for the day. I, I took, picked this guy up, bound up his wounds, put him in a hotel. But this guy goes even further. Next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. All right. So, puts him in a hotel. The next day, he brings out more money. Two denarii. You know how much a denarii is? It's a day's wages. Think about how much you make a week. Let's make this come home. All right? Break it up. 
that Monday through Friday, whatever, how it works out for you. What is two days wages for you? Don't say it out loud. I'm not here to, oh, so 10% should be tithed. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But think about it, okay? Two days wages. That's almost half a week's worth. Here, innkeeper. Innkeeper must have been a good dude as well because he said he'd take care of him. Oh, and the innkeeper say, be like, that's your problem, dude. You drug him. You know. So the innkeeper you know, gives him this money. You take care of him. That's a whole other level, isn't it? Even then, the dude's not done. You and I would be done. That would be above and beyond like five stars, man. You're, you praise God for you. You're a, such a holy person. Not looking for a pat on the back, but you put all this money down, you dressed his wounds, drug him off the street, brought him in here. And to go on further, he says, um, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's coming back? What an investment, not just in money, but in time. The guy's coming back to check on, the, check on the dude that was on the side of the road. And if he spent even more money, he's going to give it to him. And y'all are thinking, look, this, this guy's going way too far. You know, we, we think of what sometimes the, the smallest amount we can do to get, get away with it and be done, right? You know, the, what is Southern hospitality? You know, you say no a couple of times and then yes, or, you know, we've got, we've got these little protocol rules and how you're supposed to take care of things and what it means to be kind and nice and, and loving. But this guy, this guy goes way over the top. You know, you can almost see the, the, the lawyer like, this dude's making us look way bad, way bad. He's coming back. So Jesus asked him a very simple question that I'm sure the guy was just ready to chew off his tongue and not have to answer. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It doesn't say this in Scripture. This is my musing. But you wonder how long he stood there and just stared at Jesus. You ever been in that situation where, you know, you, because he, he's like, Jesus, so who is your neighbor? Been in those moments where you just assumed and knew you were right. You wouldn't admit it, but you're just so self-righteous. This is, this is who my neighbor is. I, I get boxed into those corners with my wife all the time because she's always right. I don't say that to be, to be condescending. She is usually always right. And I find myself, it's just, she's like, so, one of those kind of questions. So what did you say that the answer to, what did you say the situation was? And I'm just kind of like, <sighs> you ever been there? This guy knows after what Jesus said, who his neighbor is supposed to be. And I'm sure he just didn't want to even have to respond, but he said, the one who showed him mercy. You know, the, 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 the Samaritan. And Jesus said to him, what? Look at your Bible. What did he say to him? Say it slowly. You go 
and do likewise. But Jesus, I'm sorry, I just wanted an answer to my intellectual question who my neighbor was. I didn't need to go and do likewise. I just, you know, I, who's my neighbor? Okay, great. So, you know, it's like the Samaritan. Go and do likewise. See, that's the problem with Christianity. Christianity is not just this thing that you can just believe and say, this is my set of beliefs, this is my statement of faith that you do nothing about. That's not Christianity. Jesus says that there has to be action involved. It's not just a list of beliefs. It's not just a list of things that you stand for. Okay? That you pull out your Bible to reference and say, yeah, I believe this. It's about putting them into action. It's about doing something. And, and all this is great until Jesus says, you know, I want you to be a disciple. I want you to, to follow me. It means something. Let's look at a couple more passages and we'll be done. In Luke 9, 23. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, anyone's going to follow me, anyone's going to be a Christian, a disciple, they're going to live this Christian life. It's not just a list of things, it's this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That Samaritan was doing that. He was denying himself. He clearly had enough money that, that he, whatever job or whatever place he was, he was heading to take care of this other guy. Picked him up, brought him in, gave two, two denarii worth of things, going to come back, check on him. Denied himself. We're not willing to deny ourselves. We're not willing to be uncomfortable. We're not willing to be inconvenienced. We're not willing to change our schedule. We're not willing to shuffle other things we care about to put Jesus where He really belongs. Jesus is very inconvenient. To follow Jesus will cost you something. In fact, it will cost you everything. He never, ever tells anyone or gives anyone the idea that He wants just a little bit of you, a little section of you. You just come on Sunday, carry around your Bible, you know, study a few scriptures here and there, show up at a, a small group, we're good. I don't ask much. That's not true. Jesus asks for everything. You don't hear that a lot in church because it doesn't sound flashy enough. Okay? Or we try to soften the blow. I'm going to make you really uncomfortable with the next passage. And I don't, I told you one of the things we believe as a church is, is, is grace and truth. Okay? But in grace and truth and in true forgiveness, and, and, and we don't ever, that doesn't mean we ever water down the truth. I'm not saying I understand every aspect of Scripture, but I'm going to put it out there for let you wrestle with it and be uncomfortable with it as well. But Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're worried about creating such a comfortable life, making things easy and cushy, you'll lose it, he says. You'll miss the whole point. You know, Diane and I just came back from vacation, and that's a nice life, isn't it? 
You know, there's no denial of anything we want for the week. We just sit on the beach. There's no worries. You know, we pretty much ignore our phones. I read a book that means nothing. You know, some fictional book. Just chill out, eat, sleep, go back to the beach, eat, sleep, go back to the beach, waves in, waves out, no cares, okay? That's not the real world. Jesus says you have to be willing to deny yourself and follow me. You got to get up. You got to do something. You have to follow through with what he's asking you to do. But he says, but whoever loses his life, this is the up and down, kind of upside down kingdom kind of thing. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What you don't realize is if you really would get to the point of giving up everything and making me number one, you would find life. You would save your life. If, if you didn't care about two days' wages and you were willing to, to spend time dragging this guy off the road, you would find life. But instead, you're trying to, to put this bubble of protection and comfort around you and, and money for this and for that and for things that eventually don't matter anyway and rust and fall apart and go away. You never see a U-Haul following a hearse, right? You can't, you, can't, you can't take it with you. It doesn't work that way. If you lose your life for my sake, you're going to save it. You will find it. But people don't get that because they, they're just not willing to deny themselves. But Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What good is it to have everything that you think is everything, everything in a physical manner, but not have Jesus, not have true life? What good is it? We're going to look at one last verse, and I know I'm going over, and I apologize for that, but here's the uncomfortable stuff. If that wasn't already, right? Same chapter, verses 9, 57 through 62. People are coming up to Jesus along the road. People that have contemplated following him, okay? Contemplated being a disciple. You've got to realize the ones that were following him already, the closest 12 up until Judas does his thing. They, they, the, the meaning of a disciple was to literally watch and follow and do everything Jesus did. So much so that the dust of the rabbi, if you will, would get on your feet. You know, you just followed everything. If he ate with his right hand, and this is, I'm not joking, you would eat with your right hand. If he uh, took this direction to go to Jericho, that's the direction you would take. If the particular kind of robe he wore, you would wear that robe. Every little detail, you wanted to be like your teacher. Not just intellectually, but in everything that he did, that you would become like that rabbi. The people that followed him were called Talmudim. Or Talmudim. And that's what they would do, is they followed their rabbi. They wanted to be just like him. You get it. You know, if you follow sports or you watch, you know, I, I, you guys know I'm a baseball fan. You know, I, I would love to have everything they have. I want the same jersey. I want the authentic one. I want the same jersey that Javier Baez wears. Same one. Same hats. I, I want all that kind of cool stuff, right? 
want to be as close to the real thing as we can. And that's what they did. They would follow and be close. That's why Peter said to Jesus when Jesus was walk, walking on the water, hey, Jesus, tell me, tell me to come out too. I want to walk on the water like you. And he did. Till he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. But Jesus says, so they're going along the road and someone says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. This is the giddy disciple that says, I'm in all the way, man. But Jesus says to him, not what you would think. He said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you realize what you're getting into? I don't have a place to sleep. I'm homeless. If you follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. You may not have a particular place to sleep if you follow me. Jesus, again, makes no, no grandiose. He doesn't fluff it up. He's not a spin doctor. It's so great. I'll make it as comfortable. And we do that in church, though, don't we? If you come, we'll have coffee, comfortable chairs, and good music, and maybe some lights and fog, and this, that, and the other, and, and it'll, be a, it'll be a fun experience that you can bring your friends. But you don't see, Jesus would never have a church like that. Considering what he's about to say, you wonder if he would have anybody there. Jesus says, I don't have a place to sleep. Are you good with that? You don't really see the response. To another, the other guy comes up. To another, he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. And you're, you're thinking right now, how in the world could Jesus not say, be okay with that? Because is it the number one thing in our lives, our family? And, you know, we make provision at work. If, if someone in your family passes away, you go. Be with that family member. And you, that's a, something you don't mess with, right? Don't mess with family. Jesus had the audacity to say that he was more important than your family. In America, we would say, how dare you? Of course, he's Jesus, you know. But Jesus, this is what Jesus says to him. Uh, Lord, first, Lord, let me, I'll follow you, right? But let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think through this for a minute. First of all, there's a couple of understandings of this passage. The one is, is this, and there's no reason for us to, to sit on it and to say this is definitely what's happening here. But some scholars believe, scholars are the people that just study, but not necessarily go out and do, so keep that in mind. Okay? What they believe, possibly, is that this guy's father 
wasn't actually dead yet, but he was close. It's like, let me, let me bury my father first. In other words, I, I've, and, and no one would argue, right? Uh, you know, you need to be there. Is anybody uncomfortable yet? Okay. You need to be there. And, and Lord, when, when, when he does actually pass away and that's done, then I'm going to come and I'll follow you. He's probably close. I don't like to think about it. But after he passes away, then I'll come. You start to see people that are, that are placing conditions on following Jesus. I'll follow you after. Just let me do this and, and, and handle this, and then I'll come follow you. And for us, and for me, right, there would be no issue. There'd be no problem. Yeah, of course. I'm not going to ask you to, to leave your father. I'm not going to ask you, know, to, you know, you deal with that. But Jesus has the audacity to say, essentially, and this is true, that he comes first. There is nothing, there's no situation that comes before him. How uncomfortable is that? And I'm not using that, by the way, in case your minds are going this way to say, well, you should be in church no matter what. You should, you know, and I'm telling you to ask what it means that God says He's number one. And what He tells you to do, you do. Without condition. Jesus tells you to do something, He's number one. That's what He says is the only appropriate place for Him. Even family. There's nothing above Jesus. That's really hard to swallow. It's hard to take sometimes. Let's finish it up. When he says to leave the dead to bury their own dead, what some, again, scholars would say is that he's talking about those that are, that are not followers, those that are not believers, to go and... and he's like, there, there are other people, let's be honest, that could bury your father. If he was actually dead, by the way, and, and not still just hanging on, if he was actually dead... Yeah, you would think that it would be a son's responsibility, but there are other people that could bury his father. It would still get done. But in our minds, it has to be a certain way. It has to be us. It, this is this is a rough a rough passage to talk about because it, you know for us it's like how could how could God not understand that? And it's not that He doesn't, but His point is He even in the most dire of circumstances that we could think of or bring up, he has to knock those down because no matter what, he is number one. It's no different than him asking Abraham to sacrifice his own son. But Abraham's faith was in such a way that he believed that God would raise his son again. That's the faith he placed in Jesus in God, that he was number one always, that he didn't question him. Do we question God? All the time. Based on circumstances, based on fears, based on whatever, and God, sometimes he's up here and sometimes he's here and he's, you know, it kind of depends on the day, unfortunately. But Jesus says, I am number one. 
I will always be. Knowing that he has an even, this is key, knowing that he has an even greater concern for this guy's father than he does. There is no one that knows his father better than him. He's the one that knit him together in his mother's womb, as it says in Psalm. He's the one that made him. He's the one that gathered the dust and breathed life into him. That's who we serve. That father's not his either. It's God's. Diane and I finished up, if you're following the same kind of plan, we are Job over vacation. And Job's one of those books where you're reminded of that, of that very thing, where he says essentially to Job, who are you, Job? Who do you think you are? You see, he's God and we're not. He finishes up. Another one comes to him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Again, a, another condition. Again, the whole family thing. Jesus, I think, uses this because this is probably the most difficult thing for any of us to set aside. And we don't even think it's an option to set aside. But if it wasn't, where, how would all those missionaries leave home and go to Africa and go to these remote places? People used to go to China and they would pack, they would pack a, a casket and take it with them, knowing that they were going to go over there and die. Where's that kind of passion today? My Lance, this is too strong for me. I, I love you, but I don't care take that anyway. I mean, I'm just reading what the Bible says. If I'm twisting it, you tell me or you ignore me. Okay? This is who we are. We have, to, we, have, we have to take the things we like about Scripture and the things we don't like about Scripture and we have to think about them and chew on them and do something about it. But there's something in your life right now probably that you're wrestling with that you, you think, I cannot give that thing up if I'm going to do this. wrong who's really first I'll follow you Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home and Jesus said to him no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God yikes I just want to say goodbye we see an example of this when Elijah and Elijah in the Old Testament, where Elijah actually says that to Elijah. I'm getting the, the names all. <laughs> Elisha says that to Elijah, and he says, yeah, go ahead. What do I care? And he does, and he comes back, and he's good. So it's not like we're not allowed to do those kind of things, but Jesus is making a point, isn't he? And his point is this, right? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm no farmer, but what I see driving back, we got diverted coming back from the beach. There's a lot of farmland to avoid an accident on 26. And, and, and every time I look at those rows of corn and peanuts or whatever in the world, they're planted out there. I actually saw some tobacco, which I thought was kind of cool. All of those rows are straight as an arrow. Of course, I understand why we had to pass a couple of combines to keep on going. They had machinery, right? That was just perfect. So 
Those guys could just practically go to sleep on that thing and make a straight line. But back in the day when they had a, a mule or a donkey or whatever it was and a, and a plow, just a piece of metal, they had to pay attention, didn't they? They had to keep their, their head straight for that line for a good furrow, as they call it, to be put in place. You don't see guys back then going like this, because then what would happen? Man, your corn is all over the place. It's not a straight line. You're going to have to start over all over. I don't know, what is this? Father would chastise his son. You don't know what you're doing. You're never going to grow anything that way. We're going to fit other rows too. No one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The mentality has to be set. Your heart has to be set. Jesus says there is no wavering. When, I'm call, when I call you to follow me, there's no looking back. There's no follow you on Sunday and Monday through the rest of the week you do what you want and then you come back. This, I understand that's going to happen, but that's not my heart for you. My heart for you is complete, 100% focus on what truly matters. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm your maker. I'm your God. I'm the one that knits you together. I'm the one that knows your problems more than you can even ever worry about them and consider. I'm the one that will follow through. I'm the one that will heal. I'm the one that will take away your worries and your fears. You're never going to think you're going to get a job big enough to make all the money for the things you think you need. I am your provider. Me. I am your maker. I am your God. Not you. Who's in control here? And for some silly reason, we want to be in control and we don't have any power. But who does? He does. When we consider loving the Lord our God and loving others, we have to be keeping Him at the top. That number one action for you today to consider is, is he there? Is he at the top? If he's at the top, everything else works together. It's a challenge. If you follow me, Jesus says, I'm, I'm asking for everything. an old illustration based on Romans where, where Jesus, or in Romans Paul talks about being a living sacrifice. And, and a, an old pastor used to say, the only problem with a, a living sacrifice is that one minute it's on the altar, one minute it crawls off because it's alive. It's on, it's off. It's on, it's off. Are you on today? Or are you off? You might need to crawl back and get into the place where you belong. Knowing that indeed He is the only one that matters. Again, a law of liberty, a law of peace, joy, love, all those things only come from our Creator. 
It's not a burdensome thing. It's a realization thing that says following Jesus is the only path to life and peace. It's the only way. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray today that those would not be just words. That would just not be intellectual for us. But the Lord, that we would take seriously what it means to follow You. What it means to put things into action. Forgive us for making following You more of an intellectual thing alone. I'm sure all of us, Lord, I know, have something we have to do. Help us to do it. Or something that needs to stop. Help us to stop it. Lord, we pray that You would have the rightful place in our lives so that we can love You and love others. Lord, we thank You for Your your Spirit that walks with us. Lord, that that helps us in every aspect of life. Lord, give us the strength and the ability by Your Spirit to accomplish what You've called us to do. We love You. We thank You so much for this day and this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Again, I warn you, Amen means I agree. So, have a great day. Love you all.